following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. We're looking at verses 21 through 33 today. We've titled this year's Advent series, A Great Light. And I have been very much looking forward to exploring this theme together. But before we get into that, let me take a minute just to talk about what Advent is. Um, I know that for many of you, it might seem redundant that I cover this every year. But if if you remember, I've, I've shared with you in the past that I did not grow up in a church tradition that observed Advent. And so I am always keenly aware that some folks may not be familiar with its meaning and its purpose. So uh, the the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, and that means arrival or coming. And uh, for much of the church's history, Advent has been a celebration and reminder that Jesus has come, as was promised, and is coming again, as was promised. And so for the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we pause whatever series that we are in, and we we set our eyes and our hearts on the past and future fulfillment of these promises. And I personally very much appreciate this practice because I understand, I think, there is a strong temptation sometimes to miss the point of Christmas each year. By way of example, you know, gift giving can be a a wonderful reminder of the fact that God gave us the greatest gift possible in Christ, but I think we all know it can also become a pressurized distraction from that truth this time of year. Uh, I think family traditions and gatherings can be an intentional time to connect with loved ones as, as well as celebrate and remember we've been swept up into the eternal family of God. But those family gatherings and traditions, they they too can become distractions and they can overshadow uh, the true reason this season is so special. And so my prayer every year is that through our observance of Advent, we're, we're getting out ahead of our sometimes fickle nature and we're setting our hearts and minds upon the glorious miracle of the Incarnation. And what does that mean? That that means that God became a man so that he could save us from our sin. And and so I'm hoping that you will join me in that prayer over your church family and over your own mind and heart over these next coming weeks. Amen. Okay, I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 2. As I said, we're going to be reading verses 21 through 33. A little bit of an unorthodox approach to the idea of, of the incarnation in Christ's birth this year. We're not going to start in, in, in the more traditional areas of the, the birth story. We're actually going to jump in right towards the end. And so we're going to pick up where Jesus is born, he's circumcised, and then he's taken to the temple. And Mary and Joseph and Jesus run into a fellow named Simeon. That's where we're going to pick up today. And so As I said, uh, Luke 2, starting in verse 21, we're going to read to verse 33. Here we go. 
And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Praise God for his word. Amen. Now, one thing to note that maybe isn't apparent to our English ears is that the words of Simeon recorded here in verses 29 through 32 are actually a song. And so what that means is, this brother was so overjoyed that he just lost all his inhibitions and he busted out in a song of praise as he saw the child Jesus brought into the temple. And so I just want to let you know, I think it's fair that I tell you this, I'm not going to pray this for myself, but I am praying for you that you get so overcome with joy that you just break out into random sing-song in public about how good Jesus is from time to time. Amen? You guys happy about me praying that for you? I'm just hoping you guys bust out into numbers all the time about how good Jesus is at the grocery store, wherever you are, man, at the gas station. I know some of you already do. I think that's rad. <laughs> that is not something I am known for, but I, I, I anticipate since I told you I'm praying that, I'm going to have you know, many dozens of those pointed back at me. So we'll see what happens. See if I end up on, on YouTube uh, singing about Jesus while I'm pumping gas. I wouldn't be upset. All right. Uh, so as I, as I was reading through the accounts of Jesus' birth a couple months ago, it's leading up to Advent, that's a practice that I have. I, I hit this, and, and verse 32 really stood up off the page to me in a way that it hadn't before. Um, and I'm wondering if, if any of you have, have experienced that before, because this is to me one of the most awesome things that the Lord does by the power of His Spirit. Have you ever been reading your Bible, and, and maybe you're reading something that you've probably read hundreds of times, and that's, you know, I've, I've been through the Christmas story stuff a lot of times, right? But this time, something that, that had never jumped out at me like it did this year, it, it, it just popped. Has, has that happened to anybody else? Where, the doctrine we call it is illumination, where the Holy Spirit comes and just zeroes you in on something that maybe you would not have noticed yourself. And if, if you know what I'm talking about, then you know it's awesome. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm encouraging you to ask God for that. Ask God that when you're reading his word, that by his spirit, he would come and reveal things to you that you would not see on your own. Because he will do that. The Lord delights in doing that. It's very, very fun. I appreciate it. Uh, so what, what does it say in, in verse 32? It talks about a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And it goes on to say, and the glory of your people Israel. But this idea of a light of revelation to the Gentiles, I started to think, 
why, why did he say it like that? Why did, why did he talk about holding this baby Jesus as a light of revelation to the Gentiles? And I realized he said that because he knew his Bible. He said that because as it told us, Simeon, like the focal point of his life, the big thing he was waiting for was not retirement. It wasn't, uh, you know, a, a little cabin by the lake or a little hut by the beach. This brother had one thing on his mind, one thing he was waiting for, and it was to see the Lord's Christ. And you, you heard it in his words. He said, I can depart in peace now. He's like, I'm good. I've seen the thing that I've been waiting for. The thing I've been looking forward to, my eyes have now been set upon. And it was Jesus, the Messiah. And so this light of revelation to the Gentiles, Simeon, Simeon knew his Bible. Simeon was quoting scripture as he said this. And so I want to I show you that because it, it's common for us on the first week of Advent to kind of focus our eyes on the idea that Jesus coming, though it's shocking and surprising in some ways, it really shouldn't have been a surprise because the Lord made clear in many different ways that he was up to something. That there was coming one who was going to save the world from their sins, a Messiah, a Savior King. And so the, where, what, what did Simeon have in mind when he looked at the baby Jesus and said, I'm looking at a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And what does Gentiles mean? That means people that are not of Abraham's physical lineage, right? So God had his people through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the tribes, right? God picked them and set them aside to fulfill a special purpose in the earth. He started with Abraham because Abraham believed him by faith. And then God gave him descendants. Out of those descendants ultimately came the Lord Jesus. But then what about the rest of us, right? What if you're not physically a part of Abraham's family? We talked about this week or last week. We talk about it often. It is by faith that we are now the children of Abraham. That's what God was doing the whole time. It wasn't the big picture wasn't about Abraham's physical lineage. The big picture was about those that would become the sons of Abraham and the daughters of Abraham by trusting God like he did in faith, that that would be credited to us as righteousness. And the object of our faith is Christ. But this specific language that he uses is because he knew his Bible. He knew the scroll of Isaiah. Let me read you this, Isaiah 9, starting in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 2, this is Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And interestingly, in case you're not sure if we're making connections that ought not be made. Matthew, always keenly aware of prophecy concerning the Messiah, pointing to, he pointed to the direct fulfillment of this uh, prophecy in Isaiah in chapter 4 of his gospel. Let me read you that. You're going to hear some overlap. This is now Matt. So I read you Isaiah, written hundreds of years before the time of Jesus. Now I'm reading you Matthew saying, He's observing something happening that's fulfilling what Isaiah said, which is really cool. If you don't, if, if fulfilled prophecy, particularly around the Messiah, doesn't give you some, some happy jitters, then think about it more because it should. The fact that we have a God so powerful, he can say very specific things are going to happen in the future and then he can make it happen. Woo! 
Woo! That's a God that I want to be rocking with. Amen? Amen. Okay. So here's, now here's Matthew, all right? Chapter 4, verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. And then what does he say? What we just read. He quotes Isaiah now. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. And so there's so many things that Jesus did that if you don't really know the Hebrew Scriptures, if you don't really know your Old Testament, you may miss. I mean, sometimes the writers of the Gospels help us out. Matthew's great at it. He'll He'll be like, hey, Jesus left Nazareth, went to Capernaum in Galilee because Isaiah said he would. Check this out, right? Matthew, you know, Matthew's about it. So I appreciate that because, you know, oftentimes I would miss it if he didn't stop and show me that intentionally. But man, this, is, this makes a real good case for knowing the Old Testament, knowing the prophecies concerning the Messiah so that as you're going through and reading the Gospels, you can go, oh man, oh, God said he would do that. God said he would do that. God said that would happen. I mean, all of these specific things, that Jesus was born where he was born, the city of David, that Jesus would minister primarily where Isaiah said he would minister hundreds of years ago. That, do you understand that Gal- like Galilean region, right? If, 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 you were, if, you were gonna, if you're a Jewish guy writing a myth about a savior coming, and he's, and he's, he's the one that you th- thought was going to come and, and deliver your people, the one that you were really looking for, and if you were going to make stuff up, I would say you'd probably center his activity in Jerusalem, wouldn't you? Probably not over here in Galilee where all the Gentiles are. Yeah, sure, there's some, there's some Hebrews sprinkled in and out through there. But here's another thing you'll realize if you understand ancient geography. Galilee was a highly populated place. One of the most densely populated places because it had very fertile soil. So a lot of people were there, a lot of villages and big villages for the time. So God... Not only did God, through the prophet Isaiah, say Jesus was going there, but we also see some of the strategy of Jesus going where he went. Jesus went where there was a whole lot of people. Jesus went where there was a whole lot of people sitting in darkness and in himself brought light to them. Amen. That's exciting to me. You ought to get excited about it if you're not. So I saw all that. I'm like, okay, whew, all right. This, I, I hadn't connected these dots yet, but then I, start, then I started to think, okay, just, just how prominent is the idea of Jesus being connected to light? And, and I began to wonder if I started thinking about it. I was like, man, there's, that happens a lot. There's, there's a lot of scripture that makes this connection between God and light and Jesus and light. And, I, and, I, and then I started to wonder if maybe... And I think this is true for me. You don't have to agree this is true for you, but I, I think something of the fact that so often in, in the books and movies and, and stories that we tell as humans, they're, they're, this kind of light versus dark motif is so common that I think sometimes I would read the stuff about God being light and Jesus being light and, and all that, and I just, I just kind of, well, yeah, right? It's light versus dark. Like, I see that all the time. And, and so it would kind of just get relegated to this, it, it didn't hit me like it should, but then I really started looking, I really started thinking and praying through what, okay, so 
let me try to take Star Wars out of my head and every other kind of light versus dark idea, right? And, and let me, what does it mean here? What does God mean by this? Why is it that so often he is connecting himself, his character, his works of both God the Father and Christ to this idea of light? How, like how far does that go? How deep does that well dive, right? And friends, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to spend the next four weeks trying to get you to be excited about how deep that well goes, but I'm going to tell you right now, we're not getting anywhere near the bottom of it. There's, it, it it's deep. It's real far, and there's a bunch of mystery in it, but there's enough that we can see for us to just stand there with our mouths open and our hands up in awe of how incredible God is. So let's, that's, just so you, I just gave you a little, little hint of what I'm going to try to do for the next four weeks. I want us thinking about the fact that our Bible says God is light and what that means. Because it means more than we can figure out right now, but I think this is one of the things that's going to keep us astounded for eternity. Amen. So I, I, I was thinking about all the times that God, his word, his gospel, his works are compared to light. And, and then you go, you go to 1 John uh, 1, 5, and he goes so far as to say God is light. That's a huge deal, right? Because if, if you just kind of skip over that in like a Star Wars type theme, it's like, okay, well, whatever. But no, hold on. The, the writer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is okay with saying God is light. Like, we got to be careful. Light is not God, you understand. But, but the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was okay with the phrase God is light. What does that mean? That's a big statement. That's, that's a really big phrase, and, and it doesn't stop there. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Apparently, God is very, very, very comfortable with this comparison. It's all over the place. Not Old Testament, New Testament, go anywhere you want. You're going to find this comparison. You're going to find this idea. Okay? And I think it's, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make the case that we should not so quickly relegate it to the metaphorical. I think it's more than that. It doesn't stop there. John's gospel doesn't get a lot of play at Christmas time, right? Because John starts at creation, and then he jumps to John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. But I want you to check this out. Keep in mind everything we've already said, and let's look at the opening together. I'm going to read this to you. The opening of John's gospel. If you're quick at flipping, you can go there with me. I'm in John 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Okay? The beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Everything that came into being came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world and the world came into being through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word, so just in case there was any question about who this word is that was in the beginning with God and was God, verse 14 makes it clear. 
that the word became flesh. He dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So again, we see this, there seems to be no fear about the idea of God being associated with light over and over and over again. This, he was the light of mankind. He was the light that brings life over and over and over again. And, and when you start to, so I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, I, I should have got some of those glasses that are just frames for this week. Cause I'm going to be nerdy this whole sermon. And so you're just gonna have to go with it. Okay. Because I'm, I nerd out on messianic prophecy. Like I get excited about it. So I'm, I, I'm like, I'm going to, by then I'm going to make you feel bad if you're not excited about messianic prophecy by the end of this, I'm going to nerd so hard. You're going to have to just decide to take that kind of posture. Right. But I'm, I'm going to nerd out a little bit, too, on some science stuff. Not a ton, but, but man, what... Okay, the, the Bible says God is light. So wh- what do we understand about light? What, what does that even mean? If it's not... Look, I want to press beyond this kind of, oh yeah, light means good and dark means bad. Like, it's good versus evil. Like, that's the end of... That's all, that's all it means. I, well, I don't think it is. And I'm going to show you why. I think there's more to it than that. And I think there's more to leave us in awe... Than, than sometimes we realize. Light itself is really interesting. We know a lot about it, but still, at this point, with all the scientific advancement we have, there's, there's things about how it works that we still don't totally grasp. There's still debate about even what kind of particle it is, how it, how it exactly does what it does. So here's, what, here's what we do know, and I'm using words that we've decided are appropriate. Light is electromagnetic energy. It's made of photons. Okay? Here's something interesting. And I, guys, I had to scale down the nerd light facts so hard. I want you to understand that. Like, I've condensed this way down for your sake. So just, you just got to give me this, okay? All right. Here's something really interesting. Photons of light. If not, so think of a photon almost like an atom, like atoms make up everything. Photons are like the smallest unit of measurement of, of when you break light down. That's what a photon is, like a little packet of energy, okay? If, if not absorbed by something, if not absorbed by some matter, light is a self-regenerating wave that will literally go on forever. We have a Bible word for that. It's called eternal do you understand that? The light, the light coming from the sun, for example, if it doesn't hit some other matter that absorbs it, it, it will literally continue on regenerating itself and go on forever. As we observe it, it would you know, become more red, is it redshift and all that? Okay, that, I'm going to get out in too much nerd stuff. Forget about that. Here's the bottom line. Light, in a sense, is eternal. You know of any other things in the physical world like that? Not too many. Might be something to that. So then I'm like, okay, hold on. All right, if all that's true, I I don't think Isaiah was the only reason Simeon sang this song or that almost every New Testament writer compared God to light at some point. Now, you may think about the survey we did this morning. You might think, okay, well, John just really liked that metaphor. No, 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 no. Go, go check them all. Peter talks this way. Paul talks this way. Go look at it. This idea of God as light, this comparison, which I think is, it's even more than a comparison, it, it, it runs deep. And, and 
there's a uniformity among the New Testament writers that this idea is, is a safe one. And nobody beat John up when he wrote, God is light. I, I'm still, you got to get, if you don't get nothing by the end of this, I want you to get that today. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ wrote the sentence, God is light. God is God. Like, do you understand why that's a problem? Because when you're the I am God, you're the, the one true only creator God. Like, it's very risky to say God is anything. That's a noun. You understand what I'm saying? God is love. We've gone to great lengths to talk about why that is a safe thing to say, but God is light. Now you could get very confused, and many religious systems throughout time have to think light is God. This is one of the reasons why Christianity stands out among world religions. If you're somebody who would say, hey, I think all religions are basically teaching the same thing. Uh, well, we don't worship the sun. <laughs> okay, that's, that's a big difference. And we would be unique among ancient religions, comparing, let's, let's go all the way back to the Hebrew roots, coming out of the, the, coming out of the line of Abraham and all of that, and the time of Moses. In that time, man, just about everybody had a deity for the sun, or thought the sun was the master deity, okay? And what I'm going to read you here in a second is going to show why there's a massive distinction between what the Bible teaches about how creation works and where God's place is in it, than the, the bulk of other religions, okay? So, <clears throat> let's, let's go all the way back to the beginning. As I start to really think about how deep this goes and what this means, I, I went all the way back to Genesis. And I think we need to. Because there's a, there's a detail that many of you may have not even noticed. Now, of course theology nerds and like me and others, they've looked at this and now argue about it. That's what we tend to do with things like this instead of standing in proper awe at it. But there's something that we need to pay attention to. Go all the way back to Genesis 1. What does it say? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the waters. And the Spirit was also hovering over the waters. That's, that's verse 1. Then what happens? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now here's what's real interesting. I don't know if you've caught this before. God says, let there be light. That's, so there's a, there's a formless void, heavens and earth, spirits hovering over the waters, it's dark. God says, let there be light. What do you assume that meant? You would assume maybe that that meant sun and celestial bodies he created right at that moment. The problem with that is he does that on day four. So that begs the question, what is the light? When he says, let there be light, if the sun and moon isn't there yet, if all the things that we would tend to credit for bringing light to this planet, right, then where did the light come from? Now, that's a great question, isn't it? I heard a couple of hmms out there. That's a real good question. It started to get you to think about something. Now, this is the point that ends up in debate. So those of you who are of the nerdy theological tendency, I'm sure you will scuttle out of here and do a bunch of reading, and that's fine. Amen. I'm glad I wrecked your weekend, okay? Good. Uh, you know, I, I hope you missed something you were going to watch on TV because you're going to be reading about this. But basically prevailing theories are 
God had to create some other kind of temporary source of light, and, and, and this gets sticky because it says that there was evening and morning then on the first day, and so you get the idea that the earth was already rotating, there's some fixed point of light, but so was it like a temporary sun? Some would even say that's when God created the angels and their like luminescence is, was the source of the light. But, but some, uh, Tertullian among them, early church fathers, so this is something that stretches all the way back, there are some that think basically what you're looking at there is in some way the revelation and manifestation of God's very presence into the physical universe that he was creating. Some would even go so far as to say a pre-incarnate, this is Tertullian, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ himself, that he was the source of illumination. Now, let me be very careful to say something. The Bible doesn't tell us what the light was, so that can't really be the point. I'm letting you in on the fact that there's a big debate, and all of us dorks like to argue about it, but here's the bottom line. The Bible doesn't tell you what the source of light is, but here's the big point I'm coming for today. There was a source of light before the sun and moon. God, however God did it, he was the source of it. Now, whether it was Christ, whether it was God himself, whether it was, it was this temporary kind of, of blending of God, the, the spiritual realm with the physical realm, God manifests himself, or if God made some temporary orb and, and that was light and that's how it worked, I, I don't exactly know, but here's what I do know. I go all the way back to Genesis and I see a description of an earth formless and void covered in darkness and the first thing God does is say let there be light and there was light and then I jump forward a bunch of years and I hear about a region of people sitting in darkness and that God's going to send them a great light and bells start to go off in my head and I start to think man is there a connection here that I never made before and I think that is undeniable the language is too similar. Darkness, God brings light. The point I'm getting to that I'm building up to here is God did that twice. And I'm going to make the argument one was more important than the other. It might not be the one you think. Where else do we see God revealing himself in terms of light? Noah gets off the boat. God makes a covenant with him to never flood the earth again. How does he seal that covenant? How does he let Noah... Know that he means business. What's he put in the sky? A rainbow. What's a rainbow made of, Love City? This is, this is very easy science. I'm, go for it. It's made of light. That's right. Interesting. Then God visits Moses. How does he, how does he first approach Moses? In an icy storm? No, in a burning bush, creating a bunch of what? Light. That's real interesting. And then uh, they, you know, Pharaoh gets the stomp down. One of the curses upon Egypt uh, is darkness. I think there's something to that, but I, that'll get me way out over here. But then God leads his people across the Red Sea out into the wilderness. And, and during the day, he leads them by a cloud. And then at night, he leads them by what? A big pillar of what? That creates what? And heat. Hmm. Then Moses goes up on the mountain, spends time with God to get the tablets of the law. Comes down, freaks everybody out. Why is everybody freaked out, Love City? What's wrong with Moses' face when he comes out of this time in the presence of God Himself? What's Moses' face doing? It's shining, baby, because he's been in the very glory of the presence of God, right? Doesn't stop there. Earlier this year, I got into this, and, and if you remember it, just rejoice again. If you don't, man, we, 
we talked about the Feast of Booths and, and all of that goes. Now, let me say this, because the last time I talked about the Feast of Booths, Booths, my wife and a few others said it sounded like I was saying the Feast of something else. Booths. Booths is what I'm saying, okay? The Feast of Booths. I guess that's a hard word to pronunciate. You start looking at the Feast of Booths, right? This... It's this remembrance and celebration of God's provision in the wilderness. That was the point. And so even once the people of God were settled and they were in a city and, and they weren't out wandering in the wilderness, there was, there was this time, basically it was, it was a time where you go out and, you, and you, you build a little shelter, you camp with your family to remember the provision of God in the wilderness, water from the rock and the light that he provided, right? And so then, then you go to the, the, the book of Chronicles and, and now, now we're in the time of the temple and during the Feast of Booths, This event happens where the Shekinah glory of God, this radiant glory of God that knocked people to their backs, fills the temple. It's filled with light to such a degree that then the tradition is for the Jewish people from going on from there that in in the temple, during this time of year, they would have these giant candle holders that would hold gallons and gallons and gallons of oil, and they would light those during this time as a commemoration of the light of God filling the temple. Then, of course, Jesus comes in his time, waits to go up to the temple until the Feast of Booths, and starts to talk about, so, so, so the Jewish people now have this, this big tradition, they light these candles, it'd be so bright up on the Temple Mount that you would see it for miles, this reminder of the association of God with light, okay? That's what would be going on. Then Jesus goes up to the temple during that time and starts to preach that he is the light of the world, right? Because he's getting closer to the time where he knows it's time to get him fired up enough to try to crucify him. So he starts to say even wilder stuff than he has been saying. He starts with the words, I am, which already gets him upset, and then says, the light of the world. Basically, making fun of their giant hilltop candle and saying, look, that, that, doesn't hold, that doesn't hold a candle to what it is I'm bringing. And then when he says that and they try to stone him, he jukes him, goes outside the temple and heals a man of blindness just, just to enunciate the point that he's the light of the world. <laughs> what? Jesus, if you miss Jesus' sassiness in the gospels, you are missing so much fun. He's, he's so intentionally, I can't think of another word other than sassier. I might get, I might get in trouble. So I'm just going to leave it there. He doesn't care, man. He tell you right who you are and what, how the cow ate the cabbage. He ain't worried about it one bit. I like it so much. Doesn't stop. So that's Chronicles. We see, we see that, the Shekinah glory of God and then how that plays out. In the Psalms, we see the psalmist right? That the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So as I started to tell you this today, it's not, it's not just that God himself or Je- God the Father, Jesus the Son, it's, it's even his word and sometimes his works that are likened to, to light. It's all over the place. You start to pay attention. It's like, hold on. This, this, is, a, this is more of a recurring theme than maybe I was aware. And so if we go back to Genesis 1, we think about that, we think all the rest that we just talked about. It seems to me that light, light, period, is supposed to be one of the things that is meant to point us as humans to the God who made us. You go to Romans 1, 
Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit that if you look at creation, a wise, good, loving creator is evident. That if you look at the world around you to come to a conclusion other than the fact that there is a very powerful, very good, very loving somebody who made this, that you almost have to suppress that reality in order to come to a different conclusion just by looking around. And I think one of, one of the big, you know, because people will say, well, why isn't God just more obvious? Here, here's what I'm saying. Here's what never connected for me that's connected for me once I dug into this. Like, do you understand? We, we take light for granted. Like, light is the only reason your eyes work at all. So, like, when something's there all the time, you just don't, you don't, you forget to be thankful for it. But, dude, do you understand what the universe would be like without light? It wouldn't be. And you wouldn't be here to think about it. But God started this thing off by saying, let there be light. And that light at first is for sure different than the sun and moon. The, the Hebrew word is different in that verse than it is when it, you come down to the verses talking about what happened on day four. The first one is light itself. The second one is talking about like vessels, holders for the light. That's the way God talked about the sun and the moon. That's why we don't worship the sun and the moon. Not only did God make them, they're not even really the, 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 the base producer of light in the universe, God is. God made light in the universe without all of the physical celestial bodies that we typically credit light for. He just, he just gathered it together and said, here, I'm, I'm going to give you these sun and moon and stars to light this planet for you. I'm going to do it that way. He could have done it anyway. But just the very existence of light, period, is something that should point us to a good, powerful God that knows what he's doing. A good, powerful God that made all things. And light is everywhere. <laughs> That's part of what I'm trying to get to. I want to make this as clear as I can, though to some degree there's still mystery here. Here's, here's, the, big, here's the big idea. The birth of Jesus brought a light to the world of equal significance to the original light of creation, at least. The original light of creation, do you, do you understand? Without light, there is no photosynthesis. Without light, there is, there is no vision. Without light, there are so many processes within the natural world that we ex exist in. You're, you don't have what we have without light. You don't have, you don't have heat for, for liquid water and all, all kinds of, again, I'm, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole because I don't want this to be a science class. But if you want to talk about nerdy science stuff afterwards, come see me because I like to do it, okay? But here's what I'm saying. Just take, take it at this, man. Without light, there's none of this. So light, so God being so wise is to understand the first thing I'm going to bring on the scene creates the heavens and the earth. There's darkness. That won't do. Let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good, right? The very fact that, that God brought light into this thing it, it, we, we wouldn't even be here to think about any of this. It wasn't, so it's a big deal. That's what I'm saying. It's a big deal that light was part of how God created things. And then he did it right at the beginning. Very big deal. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the point that it's an even bigger deal that he brought light into the world again. That there is a, there is a mere imaging, there is a reflection, there is, a, there is an echo of the impact of God bringing light into creation there's an echo of how important that is when Jesus brought a baby to be born in Bethlehem. The light of the world that would come to a, to a people sitting in darkness. The light of the world that would come 
and mean that us existing would, would end up being what it was meant to be, right? God created in the beginning, created human beings to have relationship and fellowship with him. Sin broke that. Without this greater light coming, Jesus, then the whole original intent of creation at all would have continued to be blundered, would have continued to be broken. Jesus came and brought light to darkness. Jesus came and restored us on a trajectory of being able to fulfill the very purpose for which God ever made a heavens and earth, the very purpose for which ever God said, let there be light. And so what does this mean? It means, I think it means so many things. I think it means hundreds of things I haven't thought of yet. But for today, I'm going to give you three. The fact that God is light, the fact that the birth of Jesus is compared to light. The fact that Jesus says he's the light of the world. The fact that John says God is light. Everything we've talked about, I don't need to say it all again. What, what does it mean? I'm going to give you these three things. It means, for sure, you are not alone. Why do I say that? The fact that God is light, here's something I want you to know. You could be in the darkest cave on planet Earth, there are still photons present. Where there is matter, there are photons. Okay? That's why, and don't get all creeped out, that's why I could throw a rattlesnake down in that cave with you, and that rattlesnake will still find you and bite you. You know why? Because a rattlesnake can sense wavelengths of light that your eyes cannot sense. There's still light there. The light spectrum is a big, wide band. And if you look at the band of all light in the universe... The sliver that we can see with our eyes is very small. So what does that mean? That means darkness is a problem with our eyes not being able to see the full spectrum of light. Anytime you're in darkness, the issue is not that there's no light. If you're on earth, there's light there. The issue is that you can't see it. The issue is that you can't perceive it. And so oftentimes, friends... We have the same problem with the presence of God. We have been promised the presence of God. We have been promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And sometimes we don't feel like that's true. Sometimes we can't tell that that's true. But what we need to know is that's never because he's not keeping his promise. It's because we can only see what we can see. But this is also why we are encouraged in the word of God to walk by faith and not by sight. There's a whole lot of things God's doing. There's a whole lot of promises God's keeping that you can't see. There's a whole lot of things God's doing that, that there, are, there are gears locking together that you would never be able to possibly understand how that thing affects that thing that affects that thing that affects that thing and it matters because of this. You'll never know it. You ain't that smart. You ain't that big. You don't sit on a throne above every other throne. You don't have the eternal vantage point that God the creator does, but he does. And just because you can't see doesn't really mean a thing. Darkness, anytime you experience it, doesn't mean there's no light. You understand radio waves are light. There's x-rays and gamma rays. There's a full spectrum. There's light all around you all the time. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you don't feel or perceive God doesn't mean he's not there. And that should change our prayers. It shouldn't be, God, why have you abandoned me? God, why are you not near me? God, please help me. Here's a good one. God, please help me to understand, to perceive that you are being faithful to your promise as you always have. 
Lord, help me to perceive the things I cannot see. You are not alone. And that's true for a couple of reasons. One, because God is light, and there is nowhere on this planet you can run where he is not. I think it's also interesting, we talked about the kind of eternal nature of light waves. It's also interesting that they are also everywhere. It's kind of like someone else I know. Okay. You can be all muted about that, or I guess you're just thinking. I don't know. I'm throwing a lot at you. That's fine. I wish somebody in this church would say amen once in a while, but I'm just going to say that out loud right now, okay? How about that? Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. Let me know you're there. It's not just that God is light and he's omnipresent. You're also not alone because Jesus did come and say, I am the light of the world. Very stunning statement. But then he said something even wilder. He said, there's going to be a time come, I'm going to go and you're going to be the light of the world. And so you're not only not alone because God is always with you, you are not alone because God has made his people this light that's supposed to inhabit a dark place. God has put his very light into us. Do you know that if you're, if, if you're into a dark, if you go into a dark room and you have sensitive enough equipment, humans actually emit light. We glow very faintly outside of the visible spectrum. Now, that's a result of metabolism in the body, and there's a few other scientific reasons why we know that happens, but I don't know, I find it kind of interesting that God made our bodies glow a little bit. (laughs) You understand me? That's pretty cool. Obviously, you just sitting in your room eating Cheetos, metabolizing, and glowing a little bit is not what he meant by you being the light of the world. Let me just make sure that's clear. You you sitting in there with your snacks thinking, oh, I'm doing the Great Commission. No, you're not. The point is for us to get out. What, did, what else did Jesus say? Don't let your light be hidden. You don't light a, lap, a lamp and put it under a basket. It's supposed, that light is supposed to be to the benefit of others. But God, by indwelling us with his Holy Spirit, has made us light in this world. And so part of what I want you to hear is that you have a responsibility to be light to others. But also, dear friends, if, you are, if, if this time of year for you tends to be one where darkness tries to creep in, I want you to know that you don't have to succumb to that. You don't have to just lay down and take it. Because God is with you, himself, his presence, but also he has given you the gift of his people. But you do have to reach out and accept that gift. Let's do this just, just to maybe help somebody that's, that's not sure this would be true. Okay? If you're in this room and there's somebody that's a part of this church family and the holiday season is hard for them, they tend to feel lonely, there's family situations that make it difficult for whatever reason, there tends to be a level of of darkness that wants to come in and intrude upon them specifically during this time of year. If you're somebody that would want to know that, if you're somebody that would would say, I would like to know that and I would like to invest time and and spend time and and be a blessing toward that person and be light to them and to help them in that time of darkness. If that's you, if you would want to know about it and want to do something about it, put your hand in the air. I'm going to put my hand in the air. Okay. I know you can't all see each other, but I don't see very many hands down. So just in case the lie of the enemy to you is, uh, well, no no one wants to hear about my problems or no one wants me to be a downer or I don't want to be a trouble. I just asked everybody, would you want to know? Do you want to walk in that great and glorious ministry of being light in dark places and light for people who are struggling with darkness? 
The vast majority of you, if not all of you, said yes. So please just don't let that lie stop you from reaching out and letting someone know I'm having a hard time. Reaching out and letting someone know, hey, I could really use a friend. I could really use just going out and getting a coffee or, or coming over for a meal or, or whatever it is. You do not have to suffer alone or in silence, ever. That's not just during the holiday season either, but it's maybe particularly prominent at this time for some folks. So you're not alone. That's the first big implication out of this God is light idea. The second is that God is going to win. <laughs> okay? Um, here's, here's an interesting thing to think about. Do, do you understand why there is no such thing as a flash dark? You've heard of a flash light, right? Why is there no such thing as a flash dark? Because darkness is not a thing. Darkness is very simply the lack of light. And any time you bring a light source into a place where there is a lack of light, what wins? Does darkness have like some kind of imbued power where it can just swallow up light? Can it do that? No, it cannot. Now, some of you super nerds are like, what about black holes and gravitation? Look, we're on earth, okay? You dorks. I'm talking about on earth, all right? You ain't got a black hole here. And that's gravity and a whole different thing. I mean, I, I can undo that for you, but come see me. I'm not going to do it right now. Here's the thing. There's no such thing as a flash dark. You ain't running around and, and spreading darkness. You can't do that. So what does that mean? That means this kind of baseline fairy tale idea we have of light versus dark. The yin and yang is wrong. I, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody, but it is. Light and dark are not equally opposing balanced forces, somehow keeping an eternal wheel spinning. And if one gets out of balance from the other, that's, that's, that's not real. That's not what it looks like. God is light. Everything that opposes him is darkness. And when light comes in the room, darkness has to go. So the fact that God is light means he's going to win. The fact that we're with him means we're going to win. So this whole idea of God is light you can, you can take it to the bank. I know that you may have situations in your life right now that make it hard to stay encouraged by the fact that God wins, that God is light. And if you oppose him, you put yourself in the place of darkness. And to the same degree that when, when light fights darkness, it's not a fight. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's, I want us to get this idea out of our head that like Satan is the, is the, the counterbalance to God's goodness. Like that's, that's mythology, dude. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. God is sovereign. He unequivocally and absolutely overwhelmingly wins always. Anything he decides to do, he does it, and no one will stop him ever. If you get in his way, you will get bowled over like light doing what it does to darkness. Now, with humility, there's an element of us supposed to walk in a world of darkness in that same way, with that same kind of confidence. Not out here acting like jerks, not out here acting like we're big, but understanding the God that is in us is very big. And we end up cowering a lot of times, hiding back from darkness, thinking it has some power to come overwhelm and envelop the light that God has put in us and the light that God is himself. And it just doesn't. It's just not how it works. So that means we also win. That's the second thing. Third thing, last thing. Because God is light, you're not alone, God's going to win. Like I said, li literally, I can, think, I can think of dozens of implications. There's, there's probably thousands, if not more. 
But what, just let's focus on the two I just gave you, maybe any more that you can think of. But because God is light, because this is the analogy, and I think it's more than analogy, somehow light itself in the world, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's something that God of himself like let into the physical universe. That's what I'm saying I think is happening. Let there be light, and there was light. John said God is light. He's fine with that. No explanation. Didn't say, oh, well, that's a metaphor for good versus evil. Didn't say any of that, did he? God is light. And we'll talk about this in later weeks of this series, but fast forward to Revelation. There is no need for a sun or a moon. Why? Because God himself is going to light all of the space that we inhabit as his people forever. So do with that what you will. You might be like, oh, dude, you're getting kind of ooky spooky. I don't think so at all. There's something to this deeper than we typically... We, I think we too often relegate this to metaphor too far. The very fact that there is light in this world that we can perceive it should be a constant reminder, and that's the last point. We have countless opportunities to remember all of these things. What do I mean by that? I mean, friends, here's what I'm talking about. Here, by the end of this series, here's what I want to happen. I want to ruin your life in a good way. I want to ruin your life in this way, that every sunrise, every time you flip a light switch, every light bulb that you see, I'm talking even more with Christmas lights. Look at all these little bulbs we got in here doing what? Making what? Lights. Every star in the sky, I'm talking about, heck, even your phone screen, headlight, street lamp, every source of light that you encounter in your life, I want you to have to think about God by the end of this. I want you to be so constantly overwhelmed and consumed with thoughts of God's power and goodness. And I want it to be that the only way you can get away from it, if you wanted to, because you're acting like a fool and you got a bad attitude one day, is go lock yourself in a closet somewhere. But then you're even going to remember, in the back of your head is going to ring, he said there's light in here too. Just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not here. You can't get away from him, friends. And that's, I, I, want, I want to wreck you with it. And that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. I'm going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep thinking about it. I don't want you to be able to perceive light with your eyes. I don't want you to be able to feel the warmth of the sun on your face, even if you close your eyes and not think about God. Those that have struggled with the idea of praying without ceasing. How do I, how do I keep my consciousness connected to the idea of, of God's goodness all the time? Because can we be honest? That's not easy. Life comes in, pressures come in, situations come in, and oftentimes steal away our focus, and, and we can go long periods of time, for me, shameful periods of time, without thinking about how good and powerful and loving and perfect God is. Because I get focused on a bunch of these little things going on in this temporal plane that, I, that rise to the level of importance. And I'm not saying that what God is calling us to is to never think about anything else, but always, as we're thinking about everything, at least... Running in the background, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be able to have light hitting my eyes, hitting my face, hitting my body without thinking about the fact that that is, that is a constant reminder for every single human being. There is a God that made us. He loves us. And then he sent the second person of the Trinity to come and solve the problem of darkness we created with our sin so that we can dwell with him in eternal light of his presence forever. He did all that was necessary. Why would you not worship him? Why would you not want your thoughts consumed with him all day, every day, all the time? 
I pray that you dream about Christmas lights so you can't even get away from it in your sleep. The greatness and the glory, the light of God Almighty. I'm going to leave you with this. Lewis always tends to say it better than I can. It's the last thing I'll say. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. It, it touches much of what I've said today and summarizes it better than I could think of a way to do it. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but by it I see everything else. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for Simeon's song. Thank you that by the loving nudge of your spirit, uh, you drew me into <laughs> this deal with light, Lord. I know um, as hard as I've dug and as deep as I've tried to swim in this well, I have yet to even break the surface. But I thank you that we have an opportunity over these next several weeks to think about this, to think about what it means to let it wash over us and to change our hearts and minds. Lord, I'm praying for each of us that we are enveloped, overwhelmed, overcome with thoughts of your goodness, power, and holiness. That there, every light we see, that it would remind us of you. Uh, Lord, even, these screens on these devices are backlit with light. May, may that break into our thoughts and, and sometimes the the mindless distractions we allow ourselves to get bound up in, Lord. I'd say, I ask that this idea of light would, it would just ring our bells and it would, it would cause transformative change in our hearts and minds so that we are focused as we should be at all times upon who you are and what you're doing and what that means about who we are and what we should be doing. Lord, our life belongs to you. You bought us with your precious blood. We belong to you and we are so thankful that's true. Thank you, Lord, that you win overwhelmingly, that anyone that opposes you loses, there's no question, and that you have allowed us to be in your kingdom and to walk in the victory that you alone provide. May all these things cause joy in us. May all these things cause peace, and not just for our own hearts, but that we would have some to share. There's so many that don't know these things, Lord. There's so many that maybe have heard them and forgotten them. There's so many right now that do feel as if darkness has some kind of power to overwhelm and oppress. But God, may we be agents of light. May we follow in the way of our master Jesus, the great light of the world. Thank you for these things, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.